It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, courtesy of Simply Safe. Every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm's real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is that the motion sensor went off. But Simply Safe gives you a much higher level of home security. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home, 24-7 monitoring by live security professionals. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know Play Like a Jet sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is time for part one of the weekend mailbag. And for that, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So Chris, I know you've got a lot on your mind. We're going to get into the mailbag questions in a few minutes. I know that you had your phone tucked away for a couple of days. You weren't responding to anything. People are curious what your thoughts are on Robbie Anderson and everything else that's been going on around this team the last couple of days. There's been some significant news. So before we get into answering the questions and you responding to all of that, how's everything been going for you? Uh, you know, it's not too bad. Uh I had to, the day Robbie signed that day, I was like, I'm putting my phone away for the entire day. <laughs> um, I was, I'm just putting it away. I'm not looking at it. I don't want to be tempted to just scroll through Twitter and see what's happening and uh, not be able to stop myself from clicking through mentions and getting angry at all types of people. So I just put it away. Uh, I The next morning I, I woke up, I looked, I saw everything, and I was just like, all right, well, I'm staying away again. Uh, you, you have to uh, protect your mental health above all, uh, all else, especially in these trying times. And I know that in certain states of mind for me, I need to stay away from the Internet. So that's exactly what I did the last couple of days. But other, otherwise, I'm doing just fine over here. And with that said, let's get into the questions because everybody's been waiting to hear your thoughts on Robbie Anderson, including Peter J. Dillard, who says, gentlemen, do we blame 
Gase or CJ for losing Robbie Anderson. Surely Bam Bam is not to blame because we believe he is too smart to lose such a valuable player over $2 million. In light of that, what do you think is his real plan for both tackle spots? We know the current plan can't be it. So I'll answer this first, then I'm going to go to Chris because Chris hasn't sounded off on this topic yet, and I know that he's been holding this in for almost a week. My thought on this is that it was a collective decision to let Robbie Anderson walk. If Joe Douglas really felt that he was worth what he ended up getting in Carolina or worth the four years, $40 million that Boomer Esiason fraudulently tried to convince people the Jets had offered, which did not happen, just use your head. If he took a two-year, $20 million deal in Carolina, why would he turn down four years, $40 million here with a lot more guaranteed money? There's no way that happened. Manish looked into it. He said, as far as he could tell, that isn't true. I know Connor Rogers has talked about the fact that he had been hearing for quite a while that there was a one-year deal on the table, nothing close to that four-year deal. So we could safely say that that was Jets spin and PR to try and make the fans think that it was Robbie's fault rather than theirs that he's heading out the door. But I think it was a collective decision. As far as what they're going to do now at receiver, they're going to go into the draft. They signed Perriman. And (laughs) I've been having some people go at me on Twitter saying, you have to trust Joe Douglas on Perriman. Look at the numbers he put up his last five weeks. They're better than any five-week stretch that Robbie Anderson has ever had. And Perriman's a former first-round pick. I understand trying to be positive all the time. And look, I want Perriman to be awesome. I'd love him to be better than Robbie Anderson in 2020. Maybe he will. But if we're looking at the evidence here, Perriman had five good games in a five-year career. They all happened right at the end in a pass-happy offense where he happened to be targeted a ton because the other two receivers were injured. And you can't just discount all the rest of his body of work because it's convenient for you as a Jets fan. I know I'd love to do that, but I just can't do that. My brain doesn't work that way. I had one person telling me we have to trust Joe Douglas because he was in the room and Perriman was a first-round pick of one of the best organizations in football. But then I said, okay, we have to trust Joe Douglas, but we can't trust Ozzie Newsom and Eric DaCosta who were above Douglas on the food chain and made the decision to cut Perriman after two years. By the way, those guys run that same great franchise, and this becomes a you-must-trust-Joe-Douglas thing. And I'm going to get into this as we go along over the next couple of weeks, months, and probably years, but here's the story with Joe Douglas. We're all optimistic about him. We're all hoping that he does well. We all like his pedigree. He's got a great reputation. This is not the ghost of Bill Walsh. This is not Bill Belichick. Everybody's got to relax a little bit on the you must trust Joe Douglas at all times thing. He has to prove himself before he earns that benefit of the doubt. That doesn't mean that we all individually know better than Joe Douglas. What it does mean is that you're allowed to have opinions. And if you don't think that Joe Douglas made the right move, you're allowed to verbalize that. I would hope that you have an educated opinion as to why you think he's wrong, because then it makes your opinion that much more credible. But just because Joe Douglas is the general manager doesn't mean you have to automatically think that every move he made is great and not be able to point out the flaws in the moves that he's making if you think that there are flaws. So all of that being said, I think that it's okay to criticize him on Robbie Anderson. I think it's okay to criticize him on some of the other moves. 
Manish reported when free agency started that the Jets were offering very low contracts to their internal free agents. That obviously turned out to be true. That gambit worked with Brian Poole and it worked with Jordan Jenkins. It did not work with Robbie Anderson. There are multiple reasons why I think he liked the situation in Carolina with his old college coach. I think he didn't trust Adam Gase, whereas Jordan Jenkins and Brian Poole both had the best years of their career with Greg Williams last year. So they figured come back for a year, work with Greg Williams again in his defense, probably do just as well, if not better, and then try to cash out next year when the cap goes up. Robbie Anderson did not feel that way because I don't think he trusted Gase to guide him this year and be able to put him in a position to cash out. So I think it's Douglas's fault. I think it's Gase's fault. I think it's ownership's fault, but whether or not it becomes a crucial loss, we'll find out over time. If Perriman turns out to be able to build on those last five games, now like I said, I think that's a risky bet, but if he does, cool. If the Jets are able to draft one or more receivers in this draft who come in and make an instant impact, awesome, great. No one's saying Robbie Anderson was an all-pro, not even a pro bowler, but he was a good player with a unique set of skills. Now I'm starting to sound like Liam Neeson and Taken, but you get what I'm saying. And he also was somebody with a really nice rapport with Sam Darnold. To me, losing him over the amount of money that they lost him for doesn't make sense. If this had been, say, a three-year, $40 million deal, we could sit here and discuss the finer points of whether or not they made the right call. But at the price that he left for... I just don't understand why you would let him walk out the door. Chris, all of that said, I'm turning this over to you because I know you've got plenty to say. All right. First, I'm going to start with the Joe Douglas. Um, you have to trust Joe Douglas part just because once I go into my rant, Robbie rant, who knows where it ends up <laughs> if I'll ever get back there. Um, but the idea that you have to trust Joe Douglas, why? And like, I'm not saying this because I don't trust Joe Douglas. I'm not saying this to criticize Joe Douglas. I'm not saying this for any anything having to do with Joe Douglas. Just any time a new GM gets hired, you have to trust this guy. Why? The, look around. Let's, let's, let's do some math here because I, I don't know exact math, but I'll tell you this much. More general managers fail than succeed in this league. So why do I have to trust the new guy implicitly right off the bat? I get there could be a semantics issue in play here because there's a difference between I'm just blindly trusting and supporting and assuming everything the new GM does is going to be great and like heavily criticizing that guy. Because I do agree that, yes, a new GM comes in, you have to wait on like really like judging the overall jo job until they get to a certain point. But I don't have to wait to criticize George Fant uh, decision. I don't have to wait for that. Maybe I end up being wrong, but this is what happens in sports media all the time. Um, but I don't have to wait to criticize for that. I will backtrack and apologize if I end up being wrong, and I will say he was correct. But I'm allowed to express my skepticism over this move now. Same thing with Robbie Anderson here. Now, let's start with... Uh, where do you put the blame? It has to be a, a partial, they both have to assume blame here. Um, and I'm saying that Gase has to take uh, some of the blame here because uh, if, if he, Robbie liked him more, if the offense was better and he liked everything about Gase, he would have been more inclined to stay. And it certainly felt like Robbie was more, was interested in leaving. 
Uh, he would have stayed at the right price for sure, but he was like, I can find myself in a better situation here uh, than, than here. But at the same time, you look at that um, contract, and now oh, let's be fair, because the, even the idea of the four-year, $40 million deal, which I agreement that never happened, that never existed, um, but that's not necessarily a better deal than a two-year, $20 million deal. Because if Robbie goes in two years and then he's up for a new contract and then the, the cap explodes, he can definitely – there's a huge likelihood or potential that he'll be able to make more than the 40 mil he would have made over that year. But we're talking about the same salary here. And if we're talking about Robbie getting paid 14, 15 mil per, then cool. But he could have gone – he could have upped it. Joe Douglas could have upped it to 12. He could have given him a one or two year offer for 12 million. And I think Robbie would have taken it. But what I do know is that offer was not uh, given. That was not presented to him. So while I think Gase is responsible for Robbie being lukewarm to coming back here, Joe Douglas could have brought him back by paying him a little bit more money. Um, so they have to share the responsibility there. Now, Let's just get to this fact about Robbie. Number one, they've talked about all offseason, they talked about how they need to add speed. Speed, speed, speed. Well, they just let their most speedy, best receiver go. Okay. They re they signed Bre uh, Brashard Perryman. I don't, people are going nuts looking at his last four games he had in Tampa. Tampa threw the ball all over the place. They were racking up yards. Meanwhile, Robbie, his entire time here, has been on one of the worst passing offenses in the league every single year. You, they're not comparable situations here. You cannot compare him. Perriman has been a disappointment almost his entire career until those last four games when the Bucks weren't really playing for too much. A lot of it came after Godwin and uh, – Evans got hurt and they were just throwing the ball all over the place. He had a couple of like, you know, decent halves when he was in Cleveland, but that's about it. Most of his career has been a disappointment. Um, I, I keep hearing people talk about Robbie disappearing. Robbie didn't disappear. The Jets weren't able to get him the ball. They didn't have an offensive line. They didn't, or they didn't have a quarterback that could get it to him or a combination of both. Yes, admittedly, when Stephon Gilmore would cover Robbie, then Robbie would dis disappear. Stephon Gilmore is probably the best cornerback in the game, and um, he does that to a lot of other receivers too. Um, so admittedly, that's the only time you can talk about Robbie disappearing is when Stephon Gilmore was on him. All the other times, he wasn't disappearing. It was just they weren't able to get him the ball. Also, with Robbie Anderson – I will argue that he can have a zero catch day and still impact the offense in a positive way because defense, defenses have to respect his speed. They have to respect him as a deep threat. So they have to pay attention to that. That opens things up in the middle and underneath. It opens all of that up. This idea that Robbie is a one-trick pony has been debunked for – he. He ran a lot more routes. You would like to see him expand even more. He is still young, uh, he, and it, he's been progressing that way, but he's not just a one-trick pony. Um, 
this idea that uh, Perriman's just going to come in and he's just going to be better. He hasn't been better their entire career. There's no reason to think that it's he's going to come in here and going to put up those numbers from the last uh, four games of the season. An entirely different offense that is not built to sling the ball all over the place like Tampa Bay. That it's it's unconscionable that people are actually looking at this. It makes no sense whatsoever. Now, again, they get rid of Robbie, but now par- and bring in Perriman, and people will get, oh, it's a wash. No, it's not, because Robbie had familiarity with Sam Darnold. I keep hearing and seeing beat reporters talking about Jets going at- should be going after Michael Pittman because he's got familiarity with Darnold. Well, he played with him three years ago, and you just got rid of Robbie Anderson, who uh, – Darnold had familiarity with you want speed you want familiarity with Darnold and you let Robbie Anderson go uh, uh, for 10 million a year you couldn't go above that for 10 million a year now what it would have taken to get Robbie to choose the Jets over the Panthers I don't know but I know that the Jets didn't go over that so they both have to take some blame here and it's absolutely absurd to me that people want to point just point to numbers without looking at the dis- differences Tampa Bay was the leading off passing offense in the uh in, in the league last year the Jets were way down at the bottom also Perriman was so great why did it take until the last four games to, for him to start showing up and then for Godwin and Evans to be out there and again He's Jameis was just throwing it around. He's getting interceptions and pick sixes. They're down so much as great and elite as Evans and Godwin are. And they are a lot of their numbers and stats last year came in garbage time because Jameis was throwing the ball all over and then pick six in it and getting them behind. And that's all they were doing was slinging it. So not all 500 yards and I'm just picking random numbers here. 500 yards is not all created equal. If you get 500 yards with the Jets, that means more to me than getting 500 yards with the Tampa Bay Bucks last year. So stop doing that comparison. It doesn't make sense. Robbie has been a much better uh, receiver, way better than a $2 million a year uh, difference. It's been much better than Perriman here. This is not a wash. This is not a win. Um, they For that little amount of money, it makes absolutely no sense why you wouldn't bring Robbie Anderson back and all the different ways he can help Sam Darnold in this offense. And right now we're at a point again where the Jets have a young quarterback and the team is actively taking weapons away from him. And that doesn't make any sense. They have plenty of cap space to do it. If you wanted to sign uh, to sign Perriman, cool, but bring Robbie back and Perriman. And then still draft guys. And again, we're going to keep going to this part where everyone, oh, we can find, there's 30 receivers in this draft that's better than Robbie Anderson. We do not know this. This Receivers get drafted high and become busts all the time. Retrievers drafted in the middle, some become busts, some become great. And then you can find late-round guys, an Antonio Brown in the sixth round, a Robbie Anderson undrafted. You can find those guys sometimes. As much as I love this receiver class, we don't know what they are. We don't know what they're going to end up being. Um, And that's a huge assumption to make 
that even as much as I, I've been talking about C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy for years now, multiple years now, I love them. And I think that is going to be extremely, extremely likely they will end up being better than Robbie Anderson. But we do not know this. Um, on top of that, another thing, we're not going to have mini camps this year. Training camp is going to probably get pushed back, maybe shortened. Who knows how this is all going to play out. It's going to be a lot to expect any rookies to be competing from day one. And even as CJ Lamb or Jerry Judy on normal, while I fully expect them to be better players than Robbie Anderson, it's not necessarily fair to expect that right on day one. And the big problem I'm having with all this is and everything about Joe Douglas's construction of the roster here is yes, long term that's the play, but you also have to worry about Sam Darnold in year three and doing everything to set him up in this crucial year. And instead, they're taking things away from him. Uh, the offensive line is at best the same as it was, better inside, worse on the left tackle side. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. They are not doing everything in their power to help and protect Sam Darnold. You look at the Buffalo Bills and what they're doing, we can all agree Sam Darnold is a better quarterback than Josh Allen, but the Buffalo Bills are doing a far better job of building an offense around Josh Allen than the Jets are. They're helping him. They're giving him everything. You look at the Bills roster right now, and it's it, next year, if Josh Allen can't do it with ro that roster, then he can't do it at all. Point blank, period. With Sam Darnold, we're going to be sitting here scratching our head going, well, the offensive line's still a mess. They have Perriman and Jamison Crowder and two rookies of receiver. How much can we really expect? And the, it, it's just – it's maddening. I don't understand how anyone can look at all this information and think, hey, yeah, it's a good idea. Just let Robbie go for $10 million a year. Chris, also worth noting that a lot of people have brought up the fact that Robbie Anderson was an undrafted free agent and Brashad Perriman was a former <laughs> first-round pick. That ceases to matter at a certain point. It's one thing if you wanted to take – a high upside swing at Perriman because you say, hey, he was a first-round pick. There's talent there. He did well the last couple games. Maybe he's finally coming to his own. It's very different doing that than it is to sign him and have him come in here and try to replace Robbie Anderson, who was, over the last couple of years, the Jets' most reliable outside threat. And it doesn't matter that Robbie Anderson was undrafted coming out of college because, quite frankly, at this point, they've both played in the NFL. So it doesn't matter. They both have multiple-year careers in the NFL. You can see what each guy is at this point. You don't still judge them based on their draft position now. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. 
Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, would it be shocking to you if the Jets took Josh Jones, if Wills or Thomas was on the board? Also in the second round, what do you think is more important? Fulton, Terrell, or Rieger, Hamler, Ayuk? In other words, would you rather see the Jets pick a wide receiver or a corner? Also, which player would you like to see stay on the board to increase the Jets' value of trading back? Derek Brown, Isaiah Simmons, or Justin Herbert? Also, if all four offensive tackles are gone and you can't trade back, would you take Isaiah Simmons, Josh Jones, or a wide receiver at 11? So let's start with the beginning of this from Michael. Would I be surprised if the Jets took Josh Jones over Wills or Thomas? I would be pretty surprised if they took him over Wills. I wouldn't be 100% shocked if they took him over Thomas. Part of this is because you don't really know Joe Douglas's line of thinking here. We know that he really liked Andre Dillard last year, and Josh Jones seems to be a very similar prospect to Dillard. So it's entirely possible that Douglas likes Jones more than one of these four guys. I was talking to Clayton Smarslock about this yesterday, and Clayton's going to come back on the show at some point before the draft. And we were both saying that we wouldn't be entirely shocked if Josh Jones is higher on Joe Douglas's board than people realize. As far as the second round, it really depends on who you like. My personal preference would be if Jalen Rigor is there in round two, grab him. No questions asked at number 48. But I do really like Christian Fulton. So if he's there at 48, certainly a consideration. It's a position of need and a premium position where the Jets haven't had a real difference maker since Darrell Revis took off. Last part of the question here, which player would I like to see stay on the board to increase the Jets' value of trading back? Honestly, I'd like to see Brown, Simmons, and Herbert all go off the board because if they do, that means one of the tackles is much more likely to be there at 11. But if I had to pick one of them to still be on the board, it would be Simmons. And this leads into the next part of your question, which is, would you take Simmons, Josh Jones, or one of the receivers at 11 if you couldn't trade back? 
So Simmons, I think, would give you the most flexibility in terms of trade back. But also, I know this isn't going to be a popular thing to say, and I wouldn't be upset if they drafted Lamb or Judy or Ruggs, but I think I'd probably go Simmons in that spot just because he's so talented and can be such a havoc causer with Jamal Adams. You could have two guys that could be defensive playmakers on that defense for years and years and years to come. I normally wouldn't be looking at drafting a defensive player, but I think if Simmons or Akuda are there at 11, if it's Akuda, I'm jumping on. If it's Simmons, I would have to really think about it, especially if those four offensive tackles are off the board. I can already tell you that Chris is not going to agree with what I just said, but that's my take on it. We'll go through this bit by bit, Chris. First part of this, would you be stunned if the Jets took Josh Jones with Wills and Thomas sitting on the board? Would I be stunned? And I wouldn't be stunned, no, because um, I, I don't know how he's how he's having his board set. And I, I talk about this a lot specifically with receivers, uh, about how it's really hard to rank receivers, especially when you're trying to predict when they're how they're going to get picked. It's easy for everyone to have their own rankings of what they prefer, but different t- people and different uh, teams value different things in receivers more. Um, and then that's just basic all, all the time. And then also you factor in the construction of their roster and what they need. Maybe somebody need, needs a deep threat more, so they bump rugs over uh, Judy or, or C.D. Lamb. The same thing happens to a lesser degree um, – or I should say to a less obvious degree to to us with offensive linemen. So there's I, – I, I'm sure that the 32 teams, they're, they're going to have the top four, maybe even the top five offensive linemen. They're all going to have rankings that are going to be slightly different. There's going to be some that are similar and the same, but they're going to be all over the place. There's going to be a quarter of the teams that probably has Becton as that highest guy. A quarter of the team's going to have uh, Worfs. Another's going to have Willis. Some might have Thomas. And we were talking about this beforehand. I think that with the NFL going, keeping the draft the same, but not being able to do – um, all the visits and all the pro days and all this stuff. I think this is going to lead to – this is just a guess on my part completely. Uh, but I think this is going to lead to a lot of teams in certain instances being uh, wanting to play it safe um, by saying, all right, you know what, maybe we would normally take a shot on this guy because we brought him in for a visit and he blew us away and we fell in love with him. But we didn't get an opportunity here, so we'll take the lower, the higher floor guy right now. Um, so for that reason alone, why I think that right now I'd say Andrew Thomas is the guy uh, out of the top four that we've been talking about. I'd say he's the guy most likely to fall to 11. But I could also see a team out there looking and being like, you know what, let's just take Andrew Thomas because of the, his high floor and it's a safe pick. So this is going to throw it and make it even harder to judge so I can't possibly sit here and say that I'd be surprised that uh, any team, let alone Joe Douglas, has Josh Jones as their third-rateest uh, offensive tackle in this draft. I, I can't be surprised by that. Next part of the question, second round. If somebody like Fulton or Terrell is on the board as opposed to Rigor, Hamler, and Ayuk, what would you be doing? Does it have to be one position or the other? Does it depend on who you like at those positions? What do you think? 
has to be offense. Sorry, it has to be. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Especially taking Robbie away. Especially not actually upgrading the entire offensive line. These first three rounds. This I've been saying this before when I thought the Jets were actually going to add to this offensive free agency. So even more so, I'm going to say round one, two, and both those third round picks. Offense, offense, offense. So if they go offensive line in the first round, then I'm going receiver in the second round. And I'm probably going receiver with one of the third rounds and offensive line in the uh, the other third round. I, they're taking things away from Darnold. They need to inject talent in this offense. I'm going offense. I don't give a damn about the defense in that, that end. And that's what's going to lead us to square up and fight about this last part of Isaiah Simmons because I love Isaiah Simmons. He's going to be awesome. Get that away from me. Well, let's get to the next part of the question first, which is which of these three players would you like to still be on the board at 11 if the Jets were in a position where, say, the four offensive tackles were off the board and they needed to trade back? Who do you think gives them the best opportunity to get a good deal to trade back Isaiah Simmons, Justin Herbert, or Derek Brown. Well, let's get Derek Brown out of this conversation. Cause I think it's really um, the answers between Herbert and Simmons. Now the difference here is I think with, if you're going with Simmons, you're going to cast a, a wider net on teams that would be interested to trade up with Simmons. Um, if, if it's Herbert, there's only going to be a couple, a few teams that would be willing to trade up for a quarterback. Uh, but I, I feel like there's not many teams who wouldn't be interested in at least consider making a trade up for Simmons. So on that end, but if there, if you got two teams going after Herbert, you might be able to extract a little bit more for the quarterback. So either one I think would be great for uh, trade purposes. Uh, the quarterback, you typically can extract a little bit more when it's for a quarterback. But again, like I said, I think there will be a wider net of interested parties for Simmons. So I think it's pretty close to a push there. It depends on exactly how the board fall, falls and who gets their quarterback. Um, you know, let, if, the, if the Dolphins or the Chargers don't go quarterback with their picks in front of the Jets – then maybe they'd be super interested in Herbert. Um, but I think either one of them would be really good uh, for them to fall back and be able to leverage something and get a get a trade there. But I also agree with your the point you made where if they go beforehand, that helps the Jets out because that means an offensive lineman isn't going beforehand. Next part of the question, if all four of the offensive tackles are off the board and you can't trade back, would you consider Josh Jones at 11? Would you take Isaiah Simmons or would you take one of the wide receivers? I already know the answer you're going to give. We disagree. That's fine. Would you at least consider Josh Jones at 11 if you liked him and thought that he could be a future big-time starter the way that Joe Douglas obviously believed that to be the case with Andre Dillard in Philly last year? Yeah, I, w I would absolutely consider that. I still need to do a little bit more uh, watching tape on Josh Jones, but I, I would consider it absolutely. Now, I, this is going to be hard. It would be hard for me to, uh, again, get the Simmons out of there, but uh, I, I'd have a hard time passing on uh, C.D. Lamb or Judy for Josh Jones right now. Um, this is one of the situations I certainly won't criticize Joe Douglas if he makes Josh Jones the pick over them. 
But if it was me making the pick, and this is one of those things where everybody thinks they can be a GM, but you're going to have some, I'm not saying me making the pick would be the right decision. I'm just (laughs) saying I would have a really hard time staying away from one of those two receivers. And then I would just go heavy uh, on the O-line and second round and third uh, as well. But I think the smarter move would probably be the, the tackle. Again, it just depends on what Jody's grade on him is. Because, again, my, my opinion on, on him doesn't matter nearly as much as Joe Douglas is. If he doesn't have him graded high enough to take there, then I would go with the receiver. If he does, then go with, with Josh Jones. Next question from Beeman321. He says, I think you're overly critical of JD's moves on the offensive line. While all of the pieces are average at best, they're far better pass blockers, which is what would help Darnold, whereas the guys they missed on were all much better run blockers or average across the board. Players that are above average in both aspects of the game are very expensive and don't hit free agency often. Do you think constructing a team with a heavy bias towards the passing game is an effective way of rebuilding the O-line on the cheap? I understand what you're saying in principle. Here's the problem. I don't think that they're far better pass blockers other than McGovern. And I'll give you that McGovern is just a far better player at center than anybody the Jets have had since Nick Mangold retired. But I think Van Roten is a better pass blocker than Winters, but not by an incredible margin. You're making it sound like Van Roten is a much, much better pass blocker than Winters. I don't think that's the case. And if you go and listen to Brandon Thorne, who appeared on Badlands with Joe and Connor, if you watch Joe Blewett's film breakdown, if you look at what Michael Nania broke down, all of that is over at JetsXFactor.com. What I think you'll see is that Van Roten is at best a slight upgrade And while he's an upgrade in the passing game, he's not a massive upgrade. I think Tony Dunn from the C3 Panthers podcast, and I was on their show to talk about Robbie Anderson earlier this week, said it best when I asked him what he thought of Greg Van Roten. He said, you guys signed a guard. That's really all I could tell you. You signed a guard. And that's really what Van Roten is. He's an okay player. He's probably a below average starter, which is what Joe Blewett and Michael Nania and Brandon Thorne all said, and that's more or less what my eyes tell me as well. So I don't think he's that big of an upgrade, even in the passing game. And Fant, I think, at this point, you'd have to say, is a downgrade overall and in the passing game because at least Beecham, you know, was a reasonably reliable pass blocker. He wasn't great or anything like that, but he was okay. Whereas with Fant, all you're doing is throwing a wing and a prayer out there because he's shown zero consistency in his spot starts. I get what you're saying in terms of trying to play that money ball thing where you're looking at undervalued assets like Billy Bean used to do in Oakland and trying to build in areas that other teams aren't necessarily spending high on. But I don't really think that this offensive line is that much better pass blocking as of right now. If a few moves get made from here, maybe. Okay. But as of right now, I think that they're a little bit better pass blocking, maybe only because Van Roten's a bit of an upgrade over Winters in pass blocking. McGovern's obviously much better, but you also have to factor in the fact that Beecham is a better pass blocker and more consistent, certainly, than Fant. And with Adoga and Alex Lewis, it's status quo anyway, so there's no change one way or the other. So that's what I would say. I really don't think I'm being too hard on Joe Douglas. I don't think he did enough. I think Glasgow is a solid pass protector. I don't think he's great. I'll give you that. 
but he's a guy that was an all-around very solid guard. They could have had him add in with McGovern and sign Peters, who is an excellent pass protector, by the way. And then you would have gone into the draft with three established offensive linemen who can help ease the burden for whichever rookies you end up drafting. Instead, they went this route, and I don't think it was the best route they could have gone. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, especially that Peters part at the end, because then then you get those, these rookies coming in, they get a veteran like Peters to learn under that, bring them along slowly. I think that would help so much. But what I will say, because I don't think we're being too critical of Joe Douglas at all, but what I will do, I'll show this little bit of bail. And um, oh, so much about offensive line is A, about scheme fit, and B, about how the players work together. So maybe this turns into a situation that's one of these, you know, the, the sum is greater than the, the parts situations. It could be one of those. Uh, uh, look at the Bills last year, the, the way the Bills uh, went and signed offensive linemen. I remember liking what they did, but not being um, too, like, impressed with each individual one. But with everything put together, I was like, I like what they're doing here. And the offensive line ended up playing better than I even expected it to do. So maybe with uh, they're getting players that fit more in Frank Pollock's uh, scheme, what he likes to do. So maybe they fit him more. Maybe that works together. Maybe that the fact that they'll be able – maybe they can be a more cohesive unit and that can up all their individual plays and so they're better – I'm going to leave the that open for possibility. That is possible for that to happen. But McGovern upgrade, Fant uh, downgrade, everything else status quo. So, and again, if this, I would be all for every single thing Joe Douglas is doing if it wasn't for the fact that Sam Darnold was going into the third year and they need to do everything they can to help and protect him. And they're not doing enough for that. This is the difference. Yes. A vacuum. What Joe Douglas is doing is how he should be, how all GM should handle their first real free shot at free agency and building a team up through the draft and supplementing it with pieces here and there and free agency. But you do have Sam Darnold here going into year three, and you need to see what he is, what you get out of him, and put pieces around him. It's, it's imperative that they do this. If they don't do this, then how, what can we possibly expect from Sam Darnold next year? That's where my criticism is coming from. And it, it's an awful lot to expect to have two rookie offensive linemen and two rookie receivers as part of your group to help Sam Darnold in year three. That's just, that's a lot to ask and expect for, especially with a shortened off season. Like we're almost certainly going to have at this point. That's going to wrap up part one of the mailbag. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure you're following Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, we'd really appreciate it if you could do that for us. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.